Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Made for This podcast. We are super excited you guys are joining us for this get out of your head kids season. And coming up today is an interview with Jenny and Dr. Gary Chapman. Dr. Chapman is a best-selling author of the Five Love Languages book series. They have five love languages for kids, for marriages, and so many other ones. You can find all those books at fivelovelanguages.com. And after today's interview, you might want to find out what your top love languages are, or maybe your kids. So if you go to fivelovelanguages.com, you can actually take a free quiz, and your kids can take a free quiz, and you guys can do that together. So here we go. Here is Jenny and Dr. Gary Chapman. I'm excited to have you, Dr. Chapman. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be with you. So we want to talk about the five love languages, and we're specifically going to do that when it comes to kids. But in case somebody's not familiar with the five love languages, tell us just a little bit about each language and kind of where this came for you, where you had this thought and recognition. Well, I first discovered the love languages in my counseling with couples. Uh, They would sit in my office and one of them would say, like a wife would say, I just feel like he doesn't love me. And the husband would say, I don't understand that. I do this and this and this. Why would you not feel loved? And I knew people were missing each other, even though they were trying to express love. And uh, I just kept hearing similar stories over and over. So eventually I took time to sit down and read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling and asked myself, When someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. And I later called them the five love languages. And because I worked not only with couples, but also with families, I really sensed that the same thing was true about children. So in the original book, I had one chapter on how this applies to children. And people kept saying, Gary, give us more. Give us more on how it works for children. (laughs) So I wrote the second edition, and that is the five love languages of children, written to parents uh, on how to effectively love children. So here here are the five love languages, basically. Number one is uh, words of affirmation using words to affirm the other person, whether it's your spouse or whether it's a child. You know, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can kill each other or we can give each other life by the way we talk. And for some people, it's affirming words that really communicate to them. It could be about anything. It could be about the way they look. It can be something they did. It can be a personality trait that you like anything. you just giving them affirming words. Uh, a second love language is acts of service, doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. In a marriage, that would be such things as washing dishes, vacuuming floors, cooking meals, washing the car, mowing the grass, changing the baby's diaper, <laughs> big act of service. <laughs> and with children, it would be, you know, we, we're really forced to speak this language to children because when they're born, right. they can't do anything. We put yes. the food in, we take the food out. <laughs> all we're doing. Yeah. We do it all. Yeah. So acts of service. As the child gets older, it's uh, teaching the child how to do things for themselves. And that's even a greater act of service. And then there's gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got from me. 
And then uh, number four is quality time, giving the other person your undivided attention. And for couples, I don't mean sitting on the couch watching television because someone else has your attention. I'm talking about sitting there, TV off, computer off, you're looking at each other, talking with, to each other. With a child, you have to go to where the child is to speak their language of quality time. If they're on the floor crawling, you go on the floor and crawl. You give them your undivided attention. As they get older, you go wherever they are and you give them your undivided attention. And then number five is physical touch. And we've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies, hold them, kiss them, cuddle them. Long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love by physical touch. And so those are the five basic languages. And the simple concept is that out of those five, each of us has a primary love language. One of them will speak more deeply to us than the other four. And if you don't speak the primary love language of the other person, they will not feel love even though you're speaking some of the other languages. So that's the basic idea. Well, let me tell you my story with your book, because it's been a joke in our family, I think, since we first got married, which my husband quickly realized that he had the love language of acts of service. And he says, I have all the other four <laughs> that I need, <laughs> that I need all the other four. But he knows I don't have acts of service because when he does something for me, I just expect it and say, thank you. Like, thanks for washing my car. Like, that's just what husbands do. <laughs> so he's like, I'm sitting there trying to show you that how much I love you. And it means absolutely nothing to you. And I was like, I'm sorry. So we've had to figure it out. And he's gotten better at things like gifts. And I've gotten better at acts of service. Praise God. But anyway, we've worked it out. But I want to go to the idea that there would be love languages for kids. Because candidly, I read this book when we were newlyweds. I have read the book again since, and I know I'm very familiar with it. However, I have had raised four kids, and I could not completely tell you what my kids' love languages are, which I was nervous about before I got on, and I actually put some thought into it, and I could take a guess, but I'm sure as parents listening right now or as youth leaders or people that work with kids, they're probably thinking to themselves, that feels overwhelming to know what all of my kids' love languages are. How do you think it's different when a kid's 10 years old or five years old and they can't really tell you what they need? Well, you know, you can actually discover a child's love language by the time they're four years old. Observe their behavior. How do they respond to you and other people? Uh, for example, my son's love language is physical touch. When he was that age, I would come home from work. He would run to the door, grab my leg, and climb up on me. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. Our daughter never did that. At that age, she would say, Daddy, come into my room. I want to show you something. She wanted quality time. She wanted my undivided attention. So really, you can discover a child's love language pretty early just by observing their behavior because it's not only how they respond to you, it's how they respond to other people. Uh, like a physical touch child, they will, they will be hugging people. They'll be, if they got siblings, they'll be hugging their siblings. If they, if they have, they'll hug you. They'll hug, they'll hug their father. So that's one of the ways. Now, here's a couple of other ways to discover a child as they get older. For example, you know, eight or nine or 10 years old. Well, here's an example. A six-year-old. Well, the question is, what do they complain about? Right. What do they complain about? Actually, that's where my brain is going with my kids as you're talking. I'm like, okay, I know one might be acts of service because she always gets disappointed if 
I didn't do something she asked me to do. Or like it almost is like it crushes her. Like you're not a good mom because you let me down in this way. <laughs> and I'm like, I just forgot. You know, it didn't it didn't feel like a big deal to me. But and all my other kids would have never noticed that. Right. Uh, so here's a six-year-old. A mother shared this with me. Six-year-old says to the mother, we don't ever go to the park anymore since the baby came. See, he's complaining about not getting quality time. Before the baby came, he and his mother went to the park together and, and he had her undivided attention. Now he's not getting it. So he's complaining about it. So if a 13-year-old says, I can't ever please you, they're telling you that words of affirmation is their language. So what do they complain about most often? And then what do they request most often? For example, our daughter, whose love language, as I said, was quality time. When she was a teenager, really 12, 13, 14, 15, right on through high school, she would say a couple of days a week after dinner, Dad, can we take a walk after dinner? She's asking me for quality time. And I would say to her, sure, honey, as soon as I wash dishes for your mother, <laughs> because my wife's language is acts of service. <laughs> Get mama happy, and then I'll walk with you. Now, my son, on the other hand, would never walk with me. He said, walking is dumb. You're not going anywhere. If you're going somewhere, drive. <laughs> wow. What he would say in those teenage years is, Dad, can we play basketball after dinner? And the way we played basketball in the backyard, it was physical, okay? Right, right. <laughs> so you put Super those three helpful. things together, how they respond to you, observe their behavior, what do they complain about most often, and what do they request of you? You can pretty well figure it out. But there's also now a quiz, a free quiz online at fivelovelanguages.com. We've had it for years, a quiz for couples, but there's a quiz there now for children oh, and, another, and another quiz for teenagers. Perfect. And they can go there and answer those questions and it will, it'll tell you what their primary love language is. Okay, well, you're helping me. I feel like I've, I've identified two to three of my kids now. I need to work on the one that's oldest because I'm, I think he's like me. I think he likes all of them. <laughs> I'm like, when I'm going through it with him, I'm like, he likes that one. He likes that one. He likes that one. Let me say this, uh, lest, lest I give people the wrong impression. Please don't hear me saying that you only speak the child's primary sure. love language. No, you give heavy doses of the primary, but you sprinkle in the other four. Because we would like the child to know how to receive love and give love in all five languages. I mean, that's the healthiest adult. Most of us, however, did not receive all five growing up. So we came to adulthood, and now we have to learn how to speak some of these. But the ideal is heavy doses of the primary language, sprinkling the other four, and a child is going to feel genuinely loved. Well, and that's good, because I think one thing I want to say right here is some of the best things that drew me to a relationship with God were things that my parents didn't weren't necessarily good at. And it caused me to desire a deep relationship with God. My parents were great. And looking back, my parents actually were phenomenal parents and showed us love in so many different ways. But I think one of my core ways was truly is words of affirmation. So when I didn't get tons of that, because that's just not the nature of the way my parents are made, I came to God for that. And I think, you know, just to encourage all of you listening that are like, gosh, did I fail my kids? which I'm think sitting here thinking the same thing in the back of my mind. I'm going through my kids' lives. I want to encourage you that even in our failures, that's why it's so powerful to believe in God because there's this sense of he, he literally will make up for our weaknesses and move into those places. And so I don't want you to be discouraged by this. But I do know that it helps. It's useful because we don't have unlimited energy. And if you're investing in a small group of kids or you have a classroom of kids or you have four or five kids of your own or three kids of your own, it's nice to kind of be able to identify, man, that that really lights that kid up so so that you can give that thing quickly 
and invest in them in a way that's really helpful and, and speaks to them, right? We, right, we, can't, we can't meet all their needs. And you know, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned teaching. Uh, we now have a curriculum for public schools, grades one through six. It's called oh. Discovering the Five Love Languages at School. Yes. If a teacher uses that, they take one hour a week for five or six weeks. And by the end of that, they will know the primary love language of every child in that room. Wow. And we what a cool resource. Children learn more from the teacher from whom they feel loved. So mm-hmm. we're very excited. It was written by, put together by a school counselor who used it in his own school for three or four years before we actually published the curriculum. Yeah, you know, if there are school teachers listening, of course, you got to get permission if you're in the public school, you know, to, to use it. But uh, if you, you get the permission to use it, it can really revolutionize the emotional climate of the, of the classroom. Well, I can tell you the best teachers my kids have had, it's that they've, I think they've done exactly what you're saying. They've kind of spoken my kids' languages. And, you know, with Cooper, it's like he just rises and lights up to words of affirmation. He will become whatever you speak over him. It's just right (laughs) before your eyes almost. And he's only 11. But those teachers that have just believed in him and spoken that over him, he's like a different kid than the teacher that's always disappointed in him. So I would encourage you guys that are teachers to, again, no pressure, but I think it's just helpful tools that'll help your kids thrive. All right, I wanna talk about emotional readiness because this is ultimately what we're after. We're after building healthy, thriving relationships, also healthy, thriving kids. So what does it look like to launch kids that are emotionally noticing their needs and able to articulate their needs and are emotionally even just aware of what they're feeling and what they need? Yeah, well, I think the love languages helps with with the probably the most important emotional need a child has, and that is the need to feel loved. If the child feels secure in the love of the parents, uh, typically the child develops healthy emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that's not the only thing, of course. The child needs to, you know, needs safety and needs security, need a sense of self-worth and a whole lot of other things. But really the deepest emotional need a child has is the need to feel loved. And if that child grows up with what I call a full love tank, if the love tank is full, they they feel really loved. Uh, typically, they develop emotional health and come to adulthood as emotionally healthy people. But if the love tank is empty through the years and they really don't feel loved by the parents, they grow up with a lot of internal emotional struggles. And in the teenage years, they will often go looking for love, typically in all the wrong places. So that's why it's so important. And, you know, if we have any uh, parents who are divorced who, who are listening to this, this is so important that both parents understand the love language of that child because already with a divorce, the child is feeling they don't love me. They left me, you know, and we don't want that. I know parents don't want that, but that's what the child is feeling. They left me. So if you can cooperate together, divorce is always a hard, hard, hard thing. But if you cooperate together, you can still raise a healthy child. And uh, so, you know, I just, I just hope if there are those who are listening who are in a divorce situation, they'll, they'll take this really seriously. Well, and whatever your situation, again, I just want to keep reemphasizing, we fail. Like, <laughs> we're, we're, we, we do. We, we let our kids down. And I think the grace in this is that I've rarely met a parent. Now, I know they exist, but I have rarely met the parent that doesn't want to meet the needs of their kid. And I think why I love your your book so much and why I'm so glad you're on is because you're you're saying, let me help you do that in the most direct, 
helpful way possible, you know, without missing maybe the most important thing that they need. So let's talk about why it's important to look beyond a kid's behavior and to really start to identify what their deeper need is. Because I know sometimes their behavior is saying one thing and it is actually pushing them away from us. And yet they're saying, hey, I need something, right? How can we as parents not get too frustrated with the behavior and start to notice what that behavior is saying? Yeah, I I think first of all, is just realizing what you just said, that behind a child's behavior, there's always emotions going on inside and there's thoughts going on inside. And if we can get beyond the behavior and, and look at what are they feeling and what are they thinking, then we can address the issue rather than just addressing the behavior. For example, if a child is, you know, uh, just throwing a temper tantrum, for example, they're either uh, trying to get something from you. And if you give in to that and say, okay, okay, you can have the candy, you can have the candy, you can have the candy. (laughs) You've now taught them all you have to do is pitch a fit and you can get what you want in life. That's a poor way to grow up to adulthood, you know. So sometimes you recognize that the child is trying to manipulate you, trying to get something that they want. Uh, Other times their behavior indicates that they have been hurt. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe they're crying, crying uncontrollably because they've been hurt at something you said. And, And here's where it's important for parents to apologize to children. When you know that you've hurt them or you've let them down, apologize to them because children also need to learn how to apologize and Mm -hmm. your model is the best way for them to learn in Mm -hmm. fact in my i have another book on anger and understanding anger and i I give the story of my own relationship with my son when he was 13 14 i think 14 we got into an argument one night and i was saying hateful things to him and he was saying hateful things to me we were getting louder and louder and he eventually just walked out of the room and walked out Mm -hmm. the door and when he did, I woke up and I just said, oh, God, what have I done? And, and I just I just poured my heart out to God and asked God to forgive me for what I'd done. And when he came back, uh, I said, Derek, uh, could you come in here a minute, bud? And he came in and I said, i got to apologize to you, man. I said, I lost my temper and I said horrible things to you. And I don't feel that way about you. I love mm-hmm. you very much. And, and a father should never talk to a son the way I talk to you. And I, I hope you will forgive me. And he said... Dad, that was not your fault. I started that. And I should never learn. I should not talk to you that way. When I was walking up the street, I asked God to forgive me. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Wow. We hugged each other and we cried together. (laughs) And after we cried, I said, Derek, why don't we both learn how to handle anger? The next time you feel angry with me, you just say, Dad, I'm angry. Can we talk? And I'll listen to you. And the next time I feel angry with you, I'll say, Derek, I'm angry. Can we talk? And that's that turned the tide for us because we started listening to each other and talking our way through the anger rather than letting our anger get out of control. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, there's a whole bunch of parents, adults, who've never learned how to handle anger. And so the children grow up in a home where their parent will lose the temper, yell and scream at them and all this kind of stuff. Folks, we don't have to do that forever. We have to learn to apologize. And apologizing is the first step in removing the barrier between you and that child. And also, often the first step in teaching the child how to apologize. Yeah, I would say just to free up those parents that realize, you know, I have not done this right. Some of the most meaningful moments in parenting that I've had have been in those apologies, have been when, you know, even if you're listening today and you just want to call your kid, even if he's in college or even if he's grown and just say, you know, I I don't feel like I did a great job 
meeting your needs in this. I think you're right. Like that, just like your son responded to that, it provided such intimate, awesome conversations because he wasn't waiting for me. My kids weren't waiting for me to be perfect. My kids, in fact, were comforted when I wasn't. And I think this is the story that we're afraid of as parents, but it's also the story that's real. I mean, it's just the way it is. We are going to mess up. We're going to disappoint. We don't have to be perfect to be good parents, but we do have to deal with our failures. When we deal with our failures and apologize, children will almost always forgive us. Isn't that awesome? I know. Even grown ones. I'll tell you what. I've got a college son now, so I'm tasting what it feels like to release him and still make mistakes and, and have to get, you know, have those conversations. So before we go, Dr. Chapman, I want to talk about five simple ways that we can better connect with our kids today. Because I promise you, parents are motivated right now. They're going to get off and they're going to go, okay, you know, a lot of parents are tired right now, to be honest. We're in a season of, you know, heading into summer and finishing homeschooling, the, the whole world universal. So, so what would you say to those parents that are tired and wanting just a few quick ways that they could really love and help their kids in the next few weeks? Well, let me give you one that relates to college students. If you have college students at home, and many of them are, I know my grandchildren are at home with their parents, and you realize that uh, the relationship is rather fractured, and uh, maybe you did fail along the way. Now that they're at home for these few weeks, this will be a wonderful time for you just to say to them, you know, I've been thinking, honey, about uh, you growing up and all, and and I realized I was not a perfect mom or not a perfect Mm -hmm. dad. And I just want to apologize to you for some things that come to my mind. And then I want to ask you if there are other things that come to your mind where you feel like I failed you because I, I really love you. And I, and I just want to, I just want you to know that I, I regret some of those things. That kind of conversation with that college kid while they're at home, man, it could start a whole new relationship with you. With mm, that child. That's good. And then having said that with other children that might be younger, certainly learning their love language and speaking their love language would be right up the top uh, to that because that child really does need to feel love. And then again, depending on how many children you have and, and if the husband and wife are both in the home, if both of you can really focus on now that the kids are at home, doing some things that you really didn't have time to do beforehand, maybe because both of you were working and, or maybe one was working, one was at home uh, because now that they're there. Yes, we have to help them with their schoolwork to be sure, but there's still extra time there that we didn't have before and we're at home now. So I think thinking about uh, maybe some adventurous kind of things that we could do uh, together, maybe all the children together, depending on how many children you have and what their ages are. Things like uh, going out in the backyard and setting up the tent and having a little tent time you know, overnight or not overnight. If you have a yard, I know some people live in the city, of course, they don't have yards. So yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just think of what could we do that would be adventurous uh, or maybe uh, just to get out of the house, taking a ride in the country. If you live in the town or the city, taking the kids and ri- just taking a ride through the country and seeing how many cows we can find. You know, just count the cows as you ride as you ride in the country, uh, and then I think also playing games with your children. But here, here may be the most important thing from the spiritual dimension, and that is while we're all together, why don't we have a little time every single day in which we and you can do it after breakfast, you can do it at night before bed, in which we're going to either read a portion of the Bible or we're going to read a Bible story, depending on the age of the children. And we're going to talk about that passage or that story and what we can learn from it. And then we're going to pray together. 
Uh, you know, you can pray together as a group or what we did when our kids, we only had two children. We would put them to bed and either my wife or I, after we had the devotional time, one of us would go to the bed and kneel by the bed while they were in the bed and we would pray with them and they would pray, give them a chance to pray. Our daughter says, that's where I learned to pray. And uh, they, they look back and remember that. And uh, we had our devotional time after breakfast in the morning. Uh, and uh, our kids look back and say, that was just looking back on it. That was really a highlight for us. So I think uh, if you haven't already established something like that uh, with your children, this will be a wonderful time in which to do that. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Chapman. This has been so helpful. I'm grateful for your ministry and your words. It's shaped my husband and I. We have gotten on the same page. We have, <laughs> we have learned to speak each other's languages 20 years in. We have a great marriage. So thank you for your investment in us. And now as parents, I'm going to go apologize to some kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It was good to be with you today. And thanks for what you're doing. Hey, before you turn this episode off, I want to make sure you didn't miss this. Jenny made a huge announcement about a 15-year dream in the making that is finally coming real, and we want you to be a part of it. If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, a teacher, if you just work with kids, you will want to go right now to theolaby.com. It's T-H-E-O-L-A-B-Y.com. Drop your email in because coming in June 2020 are tools and resources that are going to help you give the kids in your life a big view of God, and we don't want you to miss it. So head over there to theology.com so you don't miss a single update.